to the Valley Labor Report, and we are in double overtime. It is Sunday morning, and we are continuing our Project Profile series. Last month, I interviewed Adam, talked about his life, jobs, dreams, and struggles, and today the turn's tabled. He's going to be talking to me. He's going to be interviewing me today, so... That's right. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Last month, you, you know, talked to me a little bit about my backstory, how I came to the labor movement this month. It's your turn. Uh, I think folks, uh, you know, who listen to our pro- pro- program deserve to know, you know, who they're listening to. Uh, so with that out of the way, let's just let's just start from the beginning. Uh, Jacob, you were born and raised in North Alabama, right? I was. I was born in the Huntsville Hospital, September 11th, 1996, Um, and I have never lived more than 35, 40 minutes from from the city center, Uh, although I've always lived very far from the city center. Grew up uh, first in Owens Crossroads and then in Newmarket, so I've been... Uh, always on the outskirts growing up and then as I got older and I moved out I lived downtown for a little while um, then in Madison for a little while and now I'm off university so yeah yeah Uh, you know one thing that's interesting is that this is a Huntsville is a community full of transplants Mm. so you know you being you having never left really this this region is a little bit unique I would say um and you mentioned you, you, you know, have been in, out in the country, more or less, out in the county, uh, even though you've been close to Huntsville. So tell us about your family and, and just growing up around here. Yeah, you know, um, my family is probably pretty unique, I think, even among people who live here because I grew up uh, what's called... Um, you know, North North Alabama folks are going to be familiar with this term, and and people outside of North Alabama are not going to be. But I grew up holiness, um, so it's a it's that's like a Pentecostal type group of um, you know, a group of Christians, and our life always, always, always revolved around church. We actually um, moved from. Owens Crossroads to Newmarket to be closer to the church that my parents wanted to be uh, wanted to go to, um, and they moved farther away from work than they'd ever been before. They when they were in Owens Crossroads, their commute was like twenty minutes, and then when we moved to Newmarket, it was forty minutes. Wow! Um, but they wanted to be closer to church, and so you know, uh, it's it 
most of my friends growing up were from the church. Um, most of my extracurricular type activities were with people from church. So, um, you know, religion and faith was definitely really central to, you know, to like everything growing up for me. Yeah, I would say to say that you had a conservative religious upbringing is probably an understatement, right? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. And, you know, just to just as an illustration of of the conservative religious nature of it, you know, my whole family is conservative. I'm the only one that I um that I'm aware of that currently votes for Democrats sometimes when I vote. Um and I, I'm sure that, you know, especially before pre-2010, you know, this is another thing that, that will interest people outside of Alabama. Pre-2010, um, both houses of the Alabama legislature were held by Democrats. Um, but the Democrats that held the legislature in 2009 are um, in more ways than one the same as the Republicans who hold it now uh, are very similar at least and in some cases it is actually the, literally the same people the uh, Senate Majority Leader uh, the Democratic Senate Majority Leader pre-2010 um, Tom Butler is now back in the Senate as a Republican so right. <laughs> you know and so he's not unique he's not unique he's You're not unique at all our governor first ran as a Democrat, KIV, right? So I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure that b before that, my, uh, you know, some folks in my family would have voted for Democrats down ballot if they voted at all. Um, and that's another interesting thing. A lot of people or some people in my family don't vote because they don't want to get selected for jury duty. Um, but uh, and, and why is that? Uh, because they don't feel like they're supposed to judge people. Um in an official sense. So they feel like they have uh, kind of a loose prohibition, a loose pro I say a loose prohibition because if they were, I don't think it's, it, it's not something that they would go to jail for, but it's like, you know, if, if, if the state was like, really like, okay, we really need you on a jury. I, they would do it. I think it's not a very strongly held, but it's strongly held enough that they don't want to vote to, uh, or they are, a lot of them didn't. Uh, and some of them still don't. But um, some of them have actually started voting recently. But um, the, the illustration that I was going to make is, is, you know, when I was kind of becoming more left wing um, in 2015, 2016, I could get some of the members of my family on board with the more economically left wing programs Um you know, they, I, I could get them to say like, OK, yeah, you know, maybe Medicare for all would make sense. Maybe free college tuition would make sense. You know, this maybe maybe it would make sense for, you know, probably even um, to have a higher minimum wage. But the thing that really um, that is really way, way, way more important to them is is the social stuff. And so, you know, very anti-gay marriage, very anti-abortion and and all this kind of stuff. And that's kind of their orienting. Um, that's the way that they see the world is much more through social cultural stuff than economics. Yeah. And I was going to, you know, ask you to kind of expand on this part of it that it's not just like conservative politically, but conservative really in the whole sense of the word. Right. Yes. Uh, and, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about that because, uh, you know, for me personally, I, I grew up in the Southern Baptist church off and on. 
but you know, as conservative as its reputation, I have been surprised at some of the stories you've told me. Uh, you know, I feel like anytime we get to talking about, uh, you know, your your backstory or like you growing up, uh, our life with your family, especially when when it comes to your church, mm. uh, I always uh, am surprised, and um, it's just unfamiliar for me. Even as someone who you know grew up right. in, in what most folks would consider a pretty conservative Protestant tradition, so yeah, well, they don't. You know, the 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 most obvious things for people that are kind of looking on at at these folks is the women don't wear pants, the women don't cut their hair, they don't wear makeup, they don't wear uh, piercings. Um, and the men don't wear shorts. We have they have to wear at least short sleeve shirts. Um, they have to have short hair, um, which is, you know, something that I have strayed from. <laughs> uh, they have to be clean shaven. They can't have facial hair um, and no ball games, no uh, movie theaters, you know, and there's, and all of these things kind of, they, they do exist on a continuum. Sure. Um, you know, like the, the no piercing stuff. There are a couple churches that my, my parents would go to that are within this loose affiliation that, that are actually like, they're so anti-jewelry. They don't even wear wedding bands. They don't wear wedding bands at this church, which is a wow. fascinating kind of thing. And then there's on the other end, <clears throat> my church, funny enough, is is one of the more liberal. Uh, the church that I grew up at is one of the more liberal holiness churches. And so there's like one or two people. There's a couple of families there that will go to ball games. There's a couple of families <laughs> there that, that will go to movie theaters and they're not like excommunicated or talked Ooh. to about it, you know? So um, risky. Yeah, yeah. Very. It's so liberal, in fact, that some holiness churches do not go to the church that I grew up at because they think that we have crossed, that they've crossed the line, right. By being too much in the world. Um, <laughs> so, um, and it's, uh, and you know, some people, and, and, and so the no ball games, no movie theaters that comes from a, like be separate from the world kind of thing. And so that also exists on a, cons on a spectrum. Like I said, there's some people that, that will even go to ball games. That's really kind of on the liberal end. And then there are some people that they don't go to amusement parks. My granddaddy is, is a preacher, actually a holiness preacher. He preaches against going to Disney world. Right. Um, and that's, and this was before the, it was the normal conservative thing. Like my granddaddy has been preaching against Disney world for 20 years. You know? So, right. um, and, uh, so, uh, some people don't even go to like Dollywood or my parent, my grandparents don't go to Dollywood. Um, some people don't go to the Smokies. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, you know, um, as far as the kind of rules and restrictions, a lot of people might would consider it on a continuum of, fr of, uh, uh, like kind of the Amish or the Mennonite kind of stuff. Right. Because we have, they have so many of these restrictions. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, those, I, I thought about those traditions. I even thought about, you know, some very conservative Muslims that I've yeah. encountered uh, throughout mm -hmm. my life, uh, you know, yeah. and some similarities there. Um, I went to high school with some Muslims who um, 
who and oh and and there's a you know another thing that some holiness people do is they have to have chaperones on dates and so there will like literally be 20 something year old people that can't go on dates unless their little sister or little brother comes along with them they can't be alone with their significant other before they get married which is bonkers you know that's you know pretty wild yeah i mean it's something that you know is culturally pretty common maybe in some other areas but you know not something you would expect among Gen Z folks right. in, in, in the United States. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's happening today. It's it happening is happening today. today. Um, and I have found and, myself uh, always, always uh, surprised by some of the stories that you have about this, you know, faith tradition and uh, the I, fact that it's still going very strong. It is. Yeah, I mean, the church that I grew up grew up at is is growing. I mean, they it's it's never been uh, there have never been more people that go to the church that my parents go to now even as i i think i imagined it that covid hurt them some but um but every time i go back there you know there's a whole lot of people there uh there's always a lot of people there um and just in 2015 they built a brand new church that cost like half a million dollars um and it was it was so low that because it's a pretty big church that they built um and uh, they, it, the price was low because there are some families there that own construction companies and they volunteered a lot of the labor. But anyway, they paid it off within a year. Um, and so that'll tell you kind of how committed there are, they are to the thing and, and how much there is um, and, and how many folks there are. Um, but and this is something that I that I talked to when, when we had um, when we had Kyle and Damon on, I spoke about this a little bit, um, and I wanted to I, I wanted to highlight it here while we're kind of talking about the the way that I grew up as far as kind of my faith tradition. Um, it's it's I would not say it's all bad. I I could I I, I definitely mean, you still will visit the church. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, I, and I still have great relationships with the people from the church. Um, yeah, and and that's one of the things I wanted to bring up is is the fact that you are still able to visit the church, and obviously, mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned, you you've strayed a bit. <laughs> uh, would be yeah. one way of putting it. That so yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you can pick up there. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, there are some really cool things that that you know, that being part of that tight of a knit community can do and and that much commitment to one another i mean there's there is really a lot of love in that congregation for for each other that i think is really cool um and one of the stories that i that i remember and i think maybe i told this when we were talking to damon and kyle but there was a tor- there were two rounds of tornadoes and i can't remember if this was in 2011 or or whenever it was but but there were two rounds of tornadoes and this one woman who went to the church was uh, in a trailer, and it it blew uh, the the roof off of her trailer, um, and it it, it was uh, you know, and so she could, and then so the first one came by, blew the roof off of her trailer. There's all sorts of stuff, all sorts of stuff in her yard and everything, and she doesn't know what she's gonna do. She's got all of her stuff like in the yard and 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 everything, and then right. there's another tornado coming, an hour behind it. And she's like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so they put out on the one call system on the church that's like an announcement system that sends every member of the church like a text or a thing. And it's like, you know, um, 
like at your own risk, basically, sister so-and-so needs help moving stuff before this next tornado comes. Um, can can in, is anybody is anybody able to just get a uh, to just like get a truck and take some stuff inside your house to hold it for? Her? And within an hour of a tornado coming, there was like 70 people at this woman's trailer. I mean, it was amazing. I, I mean, I was one of the people there, so I saw it. And it was just so cool having all these people and, you know, that she trusted all these people to hold on to her stuff for them, you know, because that was the plan is like, I'm just going to hold on to this until the tornadoes pass. And we're going to figure we're just going to figure out how to get it back to you. You know, there wasn't even a plan to get it back to her. We're just going to figure it out after. But we're going to, you know. Um, and then we're going to get her to a safe place. And that's what they did. And uh, in like 30 minutes, you know, that's that's a pretty amazing thing. And then at uh, and at my church in particular, I think there's a real small D democratic tradition um, that I always really liked and that I um, that that small D democratic tradition is not an all holiness churches and so sometimes when i would go to another holiness church that didn't have this i would feel kind of alienated because they were a lot more strict about the way that they did their services but um what i mean by that is the service that anybody could take hold of the service if you were part of the church right i was never part of the church i never you know quote unquote got saved or whatever um so i it would be weird if i tried to take control of the service but i mean anybody you could just get up at any point and you could testify, you could, um, you know, uh, men could, uh, any man, you know, if they wanted to, could uh, ask somebody to read a passage from the Bible sometime, you know, they could even read a passage from the Bible if they felt led to, um, they could start singing a song, and even in the middle of a sermon, if somebody feels led to go lay hands on somebody in the middle of a sermon, they can do that, and that's just, you know, and so, and a lot of times, the there's not even a sermon. Most of the time, the service is just testimonies and singing and praying. Um, and, and so testimonies is like, you know, people getting up and telling how they felt the Lord move in their life. Right. right. Something that they feel like the Lord did for them or something that they're just generally thankful for. And they um, feel compelled to share. Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, a really... A really, like I said, a small D democratic way to run a church service that you're not going to see in a lot of places, even in a, other holiness churches. You know, it would be very frowned upon for like a young woman, let's say, in the middle of a sermon. The preacher is kind of like the highest on the hierarchy to interrupt him and walk across the altar in front of God and everybody and lay hands on somebody. That would be like frowned upon and you could even potentially see somebody like getting rebuked publicly in a situation like that. But that's welcomed and encouraged at at the church that I grew up at, which is fa and I've seen it. I've seen even a visiting minister. So this is, you know, somebody you're even more supposed to be kind of deferential to somebody, a visiting minister. I saw one time this visiting minister, he was up preaching and this young girl, like 14 years old just walks across the altar and lays hands on somebody in the middle of a sermon. And, uh, you know, so that was, I was like, you know, that's a, that's a pretty cool thing um, that I grew up around, I think. Yeah. And I, I can tell how it's, you know, stuck with you. Um, and in, in talking with you about your upbringing, you know, what I, what I sense is like, we, I think 
what I sense with my own uh, background with faith, and I think what most people listening probably can relate to is like a bundle of contradictions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's there's pieces of it uh, that are very exclusionary, pieces of it that are alienated, and then there's pieces of it that, like you said, small d dem- democracy. There are pieces of uh, mutual aid and solidarity, mm-hmm. uh, as you mentioned with with the tornadoes. I mean, that's that's mutual aid and solidarity in mm-hmm. action right there. Uh, a community really taking care of one another, you know, and there's a lot to respect there. Um, You know, uh, it's easy to fixate on how that community is formed and who's excluded from that community. Right. And and we should, but uh, you know, I think there's, it's more complicated than, Mm -hmm. than, than it's often made out to be. Uh, Yeah. And and I, and, and, you know, I don't want to paint too rosy of a picture because I do know that there are certainly people who have felt, um, you know, spiritually abused in the holiness movement, um, like they were really kind of wasted a lot of their life in it, um, and that they and and that all of these rules and restrictions really. Um, uh, and then being not only having those rules and restrictions, but but being socially pressured to abide by them right. and, and the social consequences that come with not abiding by them really, you know, have an effect on folks. Um, and, you know, some of the theology is like, is really, really, really strict. Um, you know, they, they reckon that once you get saved, you can't sin. Um, and they, they do have a very narrow view of sin which I think is, is strange now. Um, you know, they basically look in, in, I think it's Galatians, the 17 works of the flesh or whatever. And they say, as long as you don't do these, you're not, um, you're not sinning. Uh, and so they don't think that speeding is a sin. They don't think that, you know, thinking something bad about somebody is a sin necessarily. Um, you know, there are lots of things that other people would consider sin because other people consider sin as just like, generally not being good you know and uh, and there's reason to think that because there's a verse in james that says you know anytime that you know something to be good and you don't do it that's a sin and so i don't know how holiness people get around that verse and i've asked some of them and they don't have an answer but so they have a very narrow view of sin but they say you can't do these things and if you do these things then you lose your salvation and you don't get another chance at it which is very you know I mean, so so I found that interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you're growing up in this your whole life and and being told. And and so, you know, it's easy to convince people, you know, if they've spent 30, 40 years, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years in a thing that this is correct. And so you grow up in here in this in this environment and you get saved and then you sin. Well, now you're doomed for eternity and there's not literally nothing you can do. You have no other chances and that's it. Um, and that is a pretty scary thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and that's something that, I, you know, I, I struggle to even process, frankly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, given given that upbringing... I imagine that very few people would have predicted you would become interested in labor unions and progressive politics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine your your parents and uh, fellow church members yes. would not have called this 10 years ago, right? They wouldn't have predicted this. So like no. what, 
what led you know what led to that path yeah i think um for me there was certainly a um i always considered myself kind of analytical um and i also wanted because i was not part of the church and because i didn't feel this prohibition to um to not be on jury duty i wanted to i wanted to vote in 2016 when i was 18 i turned 18 a little before 2016 um <clears throat> and i wanted to vote and at this in in 2014 which is when i'm making these kind of mental preparations to like i'm going to vote in 2016 um, I would have considered myself a conservative, like very much. And, I, and, and even some of my friends that, that I still have from high school, um, and, and my fiance who, who I knew from high school, actually, we, <laughs> uh, we were friends in high school and she like kind of had a crush on me a little bit. And I kind of had like, you know, some feelings for her in high school, but she didn't want to pursue me. And I and there wasn't enough that, you know, we didn't see each other enough that that I was trying to pursue her at that time. And uh, but she didn't want to pursue me because I was like always arguing with people about church and about religion and about how abortion is bad and how gay marriage is bad and you shouldn't do it. And and that's an that's a bit of an exaggeration. I wasn't always doing that. I wasn't just a total freak. But um, but that is something that I would discuss with people. Um in high school, you know, my junior or senior year of high school, that's something that I was doing. Um, and, uh, but I knew for sure at that time that, um, I didn't know anything really about economics. Um, and that's a pretty important part of your vote, right? That's a, um, that's a, that's a pretty important part of your vote, right? And well, so, and I, and I gotta say, at least you knew what you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you thought you knew a lot about culture and, and society from mm-hmm. you know from your background and, and upbringing, but you, you know, I I, I got to say, not everyone even makes that step to say I don't know about economics, right? Yes, yeah. And and somebody asked in the chat uh, what high school I went to. I went to Buckhorn High School. Graduated class of twenty fifteen. So. I, uh, you know, so 2014, 2015, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to be voting. Um, and I'm very much a culturally conservative, very, you know, definitely would consider myself that, but I also am aware that I don't know anything about economics. And I, and I say, you know, probably I'll end up voting on culture and social issues, but I need to at least understand the downsides of, or, or the upsides, you know, maybe Republicans are right on ep- economics, maybe they're not, I don't know. It was never stressed, they never really, you know, that was just never a topic of conversation, how good trickle-down economics was in my house, right? Um, and so I, um, and so I knew what I didn't know, and so I start trying to read, I start, and I, and, and um, you know, I start just trying to do more research about stuff about like what are economic issues like what you know what do both of both sides say um and i was trying to do this i and i in the 2016 primary debates even as i was trying to do this i was 
pretty confident I was going to vote for a Republican. And so at first, I don't I don't even think that I was planning on watching the Democratic debates. I figured I'd do my own research on what they were saying. Um, but when I watched the Republican debates, I was really, really so turned off by it that I figured I would just watch the Democratic debates. Um, and, you know, I was turned off by the childishness. I was turned off by the and, you know, imagine that like an 18 year old being turned off by the childishness of the Republican debates. But that's that's what happened. Right. Uh, you know, like penis jokes. And it is just so uh, unsubstantive. Um, and I was like, I don't know, I'll probably end up voting for one of these freaks. But um, let's see. Uh, let's see what the Democrats are saying. And now social issues for me definitely didn't click like this for a few years after. But something really, really clicked when I heard Bernie start talking about um, his economic program and how we have people in this country who don't have health care. And we have the money to pay for it. And so we should do that. We have people in this country who could go to college. They have the capacity to go to college and they don't. And we have the money to pay for it. So we should do that. We have people who did go to college. They had the mental capacity to do it. And now they're saddled with debt and it doesn't have to be that way. So we should make it not that way. Right. And so, uh, you know, skeptically at first, but there was definitely a light bulb that went off there, a switch that, that, changed for me economically and then you know i did try to um best i could i I tried to figure out like to what extent is he saying true and and i really became convinced that that yes in fact actually there are um, people that don't have health care and we can't pay for it and yes in fact we can pay for college and and yes in fact we can raise the minimum wage and and all of these things we can do them and they'll be good and i was just really totally convinced um and then also at the same time after high school i started working at a restaurant and so let's see i i would have started working at the restaurant in june of 2015 and so yeah so the election wouldn't have been so i would have been working at this restaurant for another, you know, for about a year and a half before the 2016 election. And and all of this is happening, some some of this is happening as I'm working in this restaurant and and Bernie's explaining these things and then I'm seeing it in the restaurant too. So we've got for for me I had both the there's this um cerebral understanding of like okay there are you know so many millions of people but but also i saw it there were people that i was working with that were working 40 50 hours a week and didn't have health care uh that had food stamps that had trouble taking care of their kids um when they had to work um there were people that were addicted to drugs there were violent felons that i was working with and um talking to them and spending so much time with them and you know if you've ever worked in a restaurant you've you've had those you know late night conversations um on top of a five gallon bucket right while you're smoking a cigarette or Mm -hmm. or maybe something else and you just really get to know these people and i became convinced that um 
that, you know, I could just as easily be in this situation. Um, you know, something that secular people will say is like, I have privilege. I have privilege. And so this, this really turns off, um, this really turns off, uh, uh, religious people. But to me, they'll say the same thing, but they just say blessings. Right. And they have this, it's not a Bible verse, but there's a common saying, you know, there, but for the grace of God go I. And if, if that, those are to me, just different words for the same phenomenon, which is to say that Yes, of course, there is uh, autonomy and we have control over our lives to a certain extent. And there are choices that we can make. There's a lot of stuff that's not within our grasp, right? I didn't choose to be born into a family where both parents had good paying jobs where I had both parents, where the question of having money for college was never even a, a, a thing for us. You know, I was able to get a full tuition scholarship, but even if I hadn't, if I had wanted to go to college, it was never a question, will we be able to pay for it? It wasn't even considered. Whenever I, whenever there was an issue health-wise, do we have enough money for the hospital? It was never a question. Do we have enough money for food tonight? Do we have enough money for for a good meal tonight? That was never a question. We got to eat basic we we got to eat whenever we wanted and and whatever we wanted. And I saw people working in the restaurant who did not grow up that way and so I I I questioned if I hadn't grown up would I be working in a restaurant at a at a low paying restaurant? as a 50 year old and, and be on food stamps. And, 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 you know, it seems to me the answer is, is quite possibly <laughs> right. Yeah. If, if I hadn't been born into the situation that I was, it seems quite poli- possibly I would be in a very different situation than I am now having a college degree, no student debt, no debt at all. I own my car. I have a good paying union job. You know, th- it, it seems quite obvious to me that my life would be very different had I not had the upbringing that I did. And so, and, but for accidents of history, right. you know, and that's something that, that I really relate to. And that, uh, resonates with me is because I, I had those same, those same feelings. And, and really it's just a little bit of humility to recognize that mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a lot of luck. There's a lot of rolls of the dice. There's a lot of just, factors outside of our control and and we don't get to choose whether you know our parents stay together we don't get to choose whether our parents stay alive we don't get to choose whether we had parents there from the beginning uh or where we were born what side of the tracks we're born on so you know i think that is something that should be more common frankly yeah Uh, and but i think there's a lot in our society that uh tries to drill that thought out of us. Yeah, I I agree with that. And to to beat up ourselves when we're failing and to think of ourselves as, you know, triumphant when mm-hmm. as individuals we're successful. Uh yeah. I think there's a lot of that. Yeah, a- absolutely. And there's um and and so 
I'm seeing these disparities in society. I'm learning about them in a more cerebral way. And I'm also learning about how other societies, of course, there's no society that's perfect, but there's other societies that, that don't have some of these issues. And, uh, and I'm learning about how they're fixing that, how they fix them and how we could do the same thing. And, and so by 2016, I was totally convinced of a, of the decency of a, of a social democratic platform. Um, and, and also, you know, to back up just a bit, I, uh, you know, as I'm learning more about this, I'm, I'm trying to get more civically engaged. Right. And, uh, the first thing that, that people really think to do is, is to be invo involved in partisan political politics. Um, and so that's kind of, that's what I'm reading about. I'm reading about Democrats. I'm reading about Republicans. I'm, I'm listening to stuff about Democrats and Republicans. And, and that's really kind of my orienting worldview for a few years. Um, but by the primary of 2016, so that would be like March of 2016, I vote for Bernie Sanders. I'm totally convinced of, of the uh, of the practicality of a social democratic platform, but I'm still very much a social conservative, which is an interesting thing. Um, and but also probably not that unique yes. in a lot of ways. Right. Um, and I even remember being... Uh, I even remember uh, walking on campus and at this time, like, so I've just voted for Bernie Sanders at this time. And I see somebody wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt and and I genuinely get upset and I genuinely say like I, I, I don't say anything, you know, thank God. But I think in my head, I'm like, why would somebody wear the sh uh, wear um, the shirt of a terrorist organization? And 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 this and so is just, you had picked that up from yeah from you know just out there in the ether that right that Black Lives Matter was was a terrorist organization yeah um and so uh so uh like I said very very contradictory politics if if you if you're thinking of of politics as you know when you believe one thing you believe all the all the accompanying things that right that so many people do um but you know. As I was saying earlier, what I think is relevant there is like we know a lot of these people, right? Mm. There's a lot of people in our lives, <laughs> and if you're listening, there's people in your life, and hell, you might be one of these people that has, you know, a bundle of contradictions in their belief system. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think being able to relate to that and to to talk to folks and and find common ground there uh you know because you you can look back on yourself and see okay yeah that was that was weird right <laughs> i had right. i had these different ideas bouncing around in my head and they didn't all like go together mm -hmm. um and you know i i i think both of us have had some success in being able to talk to other working class folks who also are along that line right, right. because you know, we can, we get it. We get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so in, and, and at that same time, I, I think it was probably about that same time that I get involved in the college Democrats, you know, father, forgive me for I have sinned. Um, and I end up voting for Hillary Clinton, despite all of the, 
you know, all all the economic, both economic and at this point, social con- uh, concerns that I have with her. <laughs> um, you know, I, so I'm, I'm voting for her. And I think probably I'm voting for her at this time, despite her support for gay marriage and, and abortion and all this stuff. And I um, but I, I took a class in sociology um, where one of the books that we talked about was the new Jim Crow. Um, and I, I, I think that there are there are some good I, I think that I've seen some good left criticisms of some of the narrative structure of the new Jim Crow um, in some of the, the reasoning that it puts forward. And, and, you know, I'm willing to hear those. But uh, and during the sociology class, it did not click with me um and the way that and we and and probably if i were to be a sociology teacher i would not start it this way um but we read the opening paragraph or the opening chapter of the new jim crow and that basically lays out her thesis about how you know america was really kind of basically founded on racism and that you know, what we have now under mass incarceration is basically the same. Um, and, you know, all of our founders were like super racist and super bad and, and all this stuff. And, and and that really, really was antagonizing to me. And so I was not able to engage during that, uh, during that class with it. But at a later date, I did finally read The New Jim Crow and the rest of the book was really convincing to me. Um, you know, like I said, maybe there are some things that I would quibble with about the narrative structure and, and the explanatory value of some of these things. But the, the there is a fact of racial discrimination in our in our justice system and the way that intergenerational wealth has a history that does date back to even what conservative Jake would have agreed um, is bad and racist. But conservative Jake didn't really understand that, okay, let's even, even if we just grant that racism ended in 1965, even if we were just to say that, which is is obviously not the case, but even if we did, um, the legacy would still be being felt because there would still be people that were not um that 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 were structurally left out of our economy and those people had children and what happens when you're poor and you have children well your children are going to be poor right i mean we're all the products of our mamas and grandmamas right and and i think that's that's huge to to be able to recognize that and so recognizing that is really when the dominoes start falling for me socially um, and I become a more orthodox left winger and I'm still getting involved in, in the, and I'm still getting more and more involved in the college Democrats. And, and, you know, I'm seeing this as, is maybe the way forward, the way to make the world better and, and all this. And, and so I, uh, I'm the executive director, I think of the UIH college Democrats and the programs director for the Alabama college Democrats, which some people in, in, in some socialist groups think that this is a very high position, the programs director for the Alabama college Democrats. And, and that's how I got my, <laughs> that's how I got my, my lofty position in the AFL-CIO bureaucracy. Um, 
but that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, that's um, not reality um, for anyone keeping up. Yeah, but I, I was very active and I did spend a lot of time. I probably knocked on 500 or 1,000 doors, probably made about 1,000 phone calls in the midterms 2018. And I was very, very, very disheartened by the results of 2018. Um, you know, and, and while there was kind of a blue wave, quote unquote, nationally here in Alabama, 72 seats flipped from Democrat to Republican across the state county commissions, um, state house, state reps, uh, state senators, you know, these lower offices, 72. And, uh, you know, and, and I thought I was seeing all this energy and, and stuff from, you know, the Democratic Party in Alabama. And it just did not materialize at the ballot box. And so I said, you know, because I did not grow up political and also because when I became politicized, I was more of a I considered myself more of a Bernie supporter than a Democrat. I didn't really have any loyalty to the Democratic Party as a as a thing. And so I said, well is this really the best way to spend my time? Uh, is this actually the best way to, you know, um, make society better? And I came to the opinion that it's probably not uh, to spend all of your time in electoral partisan politics, at least for me and at least in Alabama. I'm not going to tell people what they, what they ought to do, um, but it was not fulfilling for me to, you know, go knock on the door of a stranger and tell them, please, in six months, vote for this person that you've never met and that I've never met and hope that they win and hope that if they win, they don't screw you over like every other politician in your life has. It was just not a very empowering mm -hmm. experience for me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see results. Um, you know, it, it's it's quite possible that my life would look a lot different now had the election of 2018 shown some results for Democrats in Alabama. But I'm almost in a way thankful it didn't because I'm very happy where I am now. Um, but, yeah, so it was not very personally empowering and and I didn't see any results from it. And so I said, well, what else can I do? Because at, I'm very much politicized. I very much have an interest in in trying to make folks' lives better. And so how can I do that? And I start trying to read some more. Start trying to read some more. Um, and I, uh, reading in the chat, didn't Doug Jones win in 2017? That was 2018, actually. Um, or or didn't, didn't he win in 2018? Doug Jones won in 2017. Yeah. Not 2018. It was a special election. But um, so I start trying to figure out what I can do, and I start reading about the labor movement. And I start reading about unions, what they've done historically, and then also what they're still doing. Uh, unions are still actually helping people. Unions are still raising people's wages. Unions are still, um, you know, saving people's jobs um, and and doing lots of good things. And, oh, wouldn't you look at that? You don't have to convince a stranger to trust another stranger to both of you. All you have to do to win a union is talk to people that you know about their lives and convince them that with the other people you know, you can do something to change it 
And you don't have to wait for the election in November. You don't have to trust some third party. You just have to trust yourself. And you can do something about your life today. You can start working to make your life better today. You can start working to make your co-workers' lives better today. And then as you're doing that, you can really become part of a broader movement. You can become part of something bigger than yourself and then you can also have all these allies that will hopefully come to your uh, come to your aid when whenever you need them and you can come to other people's aid that you you can fight for people that you don't know but you can do it in a way that's actually meaningful instead of this you know the electoral partisan stuff and so that was that was really really fascinating to me and uh, and so at that point in 20, was it January of, uh, maybe it was January of 2018. Maybe it was almost immediately after the election. It was either January of 18 or 19. I joined the IWW. I get an internship where I work now. I joined the union. And then really the rest is kind of history about, um, you know, about, you know the rest of the the rest of everything that I've done is kind of is kind of cataloged, right? <laughs> because I started the show pretty, you know, within a couple of years after that, and um, you know, there's still definitely some progression from when I joined the union to now, uh, some evolution in my thinking, but um, but really, I think fundamentally, uh, my convictions are much the same now as they were four or five years ago. So I, yeah, you've you've been in the movement now for several years, uh, and I want to come back to the show. But before we get to the show, just tell us about some of the experiences that you've had in unions uh, and what you've been up to as a union member and and as a union leader. Um, so I mentioned that I joined the IWW, um, and one of the reasons that I did that is because. I really wanted a I wanted to be a part of an organization because I'm I'm part of the American Federation of Government Employees. That's a union that represents me at my job. But I also wanted to be a part of an organization that would organize anybody. Right. And, you know, the thing that really, you know, like like I said, the thing that really kind of one of the things that catalyzed my politicization was uh, restaurant work. And I can't go into, you know, a local bar and say, hey, do you want to organize with the American Federation of Government Employees? Right. My union won't organize them. And so I wanted to be part of the IWW because I saw what they were doing at Burgerville in the Pacific Northwest. I thought that was really cool. Um, And through that, I was able to meet a lot of really cool people that are, uh, you know, doing a lot of really cool things. Uh, we chartered the Huntsville IWW that you and I are still members of um, and that is still going. And I think that and even though I'm not as active in it now as I used to be, I'm more active in my own union and I'm more active in the Labor Council and the show. Uh, but I think even since I've kind of stepped back from a prominent role in the IWW, they've grown. Um, and I'm really excited to see that. And I've, I've been in talks recently, or I've, I've had some conversations with them and it's, and it, uh, and I understand that there are a couple of, of underground campaigns in Huntsville now that are really exciting. And, and so I'm, I am, you know, really proud to have been able to, 
to be one of the the founding members of the Huntsville IWW and and really proud that that is still an organization that is around um, that's willing to organize any worker in North Alabama or really in Alabama at all. They're the only IWW branch in Alabama. Um, and, uh, you know, so that has been a great experience. I've been able to lead some organizer trainings. I've been able to go to organizer trainings led by other people with, with more experience than I have. Um, I have, you know, I've also seen some, you know, uh, some of the, the ways that unions can be kind of ineffective, (laughs) um, when they're not, uh, run in accordance with, you know, really small D democratic principles. And, and, you know, this is, this is certainly, and, and, and that's not even to say that the people that are running these unions that aren't, aren't run that way, even have this ideological opposition to it, it, to small D democracy or, or militancy or anything like that. That's just, you know, they've never seen it done that way. And so they don't do it that way. Right. But, you know, my union is very much not active at, at work. Um, we represent 29 agencies on the arsenal. Um, and there's just not a lot of activity in it, um, not a lot of action. And so, um, you know, that's something that, that I would very much like to see change. Uh, I would like to see a lot more activity and, and, you know, see us be more of a force to be reckoned with on the arsenal, you know, whenever there's, whenever there's new stuff happening, whenever there's an, you know, like we should really be, because we represent 11,000 employees, federal employees on the arsenal. We should really be a big force. Um, when these workforce decisions are being made and a lot of times we're not, um, but, uh, a year or so ago, I was appointed to be our equivalent of a shop steward, um, and I've been able to lead new employee orientations. I've been able to uh, actually, I've had a grievance case that that seems to have resolved, been resolved well. Uh, you know, the the official resolution is still coming, but I I think that you know, uh, I was able to uh, you know, I think that that this. Uh, a woman's job is ultimately going to be saved. Um, and that's, you know, that's a really cool thing to actually be able to say that, oh, you know, through our work, we have made somebody's life materially and, and measurably and observably better. Right. Um, and so that's a really, that's a really cool thing. And, and then, and, but even more than my own personal experience, because it is, even though it's been four or five years, it's still to a certain degree limited through the radio program and through, my work in the labor council, I've been able to to talk to people and hear stories about, you know, unions making people's lives better, saving people's jobs, getting people's ra- getting people a raise and, and having and, and talking to them on the program, talking to them off the air. And that's been a really uh, powerful experience for me. Yeah. And the just so we're clear, the North Alabama Labor Council, uh, tell us about your role there and kind of what you've been up to there. Yeah, I am um, a founding member of the Labor Council as well. Um, the Labor Council, Labor Councils are regional bodies of the 
AFL-CIO. The AFL-CIO is the largest federation of unions in the country. And so they have, you know, the national body, they have state bodies, and they have regional bodies. And for about 10 or 20 years, the regional body in North Alabama was more or less defunct, and it was officially dechartered in 2017. And and there had been a move among some people to try to recharter it ever since then or, or even even and even before that to try to activate it again and they uh, something just wasn't clicking and they weren't able to get the ball rolling and so i uh that's how i one of the ways that i got um a- after i got connected with david he and i as members of two different unions uh worked to charter uh um the the labor council so that unions in the area could have this body to work together in and um and and so i was elected uh in the first election as secretary treasurer i was re-elected in the second election and the third elections are coming up now in december of this year so i'm not sure if i'll run for secretary treasurer again but uh since forming we have brought into the council eight unions representing uh you know several thousand members and and even more um represented employees in mm-hmm. North Alabama and uh you know that that's a that's a good thing and i think that that's a it's important for you you know there's definitely a lot more things i i like my own union i want to see it be bigger and and better right but uh i think just having that institution there for people to work within is is important and good so absolutely no i think that's that's a remarkable accomplishment and i appreciate you and david doing that i think it's something that's going to going to leave a lasting impact and you know definitely look forward to seeing that growth um i wanted to kind of end things by talking about the Valley Labor Report. What is the origin of this show? Uh, You've kind of alluded to it. You know, you've told us about your background and and getting politicized, getting involved in labor unions. So what led to this program? Yeah. So I guess what led to this, one of the things that we need to say as far as what led to the program is how did I meet David? And this is a story that I think we told on Working People when we when when we went on there to kind of premiere the show but um i i can tell it again because it's a funny story uh i'm a you know so i meet david i think in 2018 uh before the midterm elections i'm a young bernie crat at this time i'm active in the college democrats and um and i i have enough awareness that unions are kind of a at least ought to be a constituency group of the working class party, which I understood to be the Democrats. And so, um, and when I say constituency group, I mean that in that Democrats ought to appeal. I, I meant that in that Democrats ought to appeal to unions and then because of that, and also because Republicans want the destruction of organized labor, uh, unions ought to support Democrats. And so that that was kind of my understanding at the time. And, and uh, now my understanding is much 
less <laughs> it's much less reflective of that uh my understanding now is that democrats ought to really appeal to unions and then uh really be grateful if we do anything for them in return <laughs> that's basically you know <laughs> that's basically how i think about that now but at the time i was you know i i i i understood that there ought to be some amount of expected reciprocity and so I see the endorsement list of the Alabama AFL-CIO come out, and I see it endorsing a lot of Republicans. And I'm like, that's pretty weird. Why are unions endorsing Republicans when re Republicans want to destroy them? And I saw one name in particular that I recognized because he is a family friend, uh, Richie Horton. And yeah, I know Richie. Yeah. He is a, uh, you know, a family, family friend, maybe too strong family acquaintance. People in my family know him. That may be more accurate. Um, and so I messaged him on Facebook and I'm like, hey, you know, do you support right to work? That's like that was basically the extent of like union issues that I knew. I was like, OK, unions are about right to work and, and they don't like it. They don't like right to work. And he says, yes, I fully support right to work. And so um, I'm like, what? Why are they endorsing this guy? Why? This is bizarre. Why is this the case? And so I message, I think it was the Alabama AFL-CIO page. And I'm like, I send them screenshots of this. And I'm like, why are you endorsing these people? And David messages me back. And he's like, you know, difficult to explain over, t <laughs> over text message, but I'm happy to call you i'm happy to talk on the phone so we talked on the phone for like an hour and you know he explained to me that basically he was like it's for one it's not necessarily a decision that i would make but i'm going to explain their logic to you and their logic is that there's no democrat in this race and so where there's no democrat they're going to endorse a republican just to basically not anger them Right. Just get a little goodwill. Yes. Theoretically. Just, just basically so that we can get our foot in the door when we want something from them. Um, and so and basically the he, he explained that the thinking is basically why not? Who cares? Doesn't matter. The Republican's going to win. There's not even a Democrat in the race. Just endorse them. And maybe that'll give us a little goodwill. He, he did explain, I, I believe, that that's not the decision he would necessarily make. But, you know, that's. But I'm the webmaster of the page, and so, you know, that's that's the reason. And so I said, okay, I mean, I guess that's fine. And so we connected on Facebook, and and um, and then and, and we got closer, and we talked some more. Um, and I think I, I even had him come and talk to the Alabama, to the UAH College Democrats to do, like, a presentation on unions. I got him and his local president to come and talk, and the state council president, actually, of the machinists talk to us about unions. And, um, and so I get in my head that I want to do like a liberal talk radio show. And I ask him if his union would be interested in sponsoring it. And he's like, probably not. No, I don't think so. <laughs> 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 and so, and this is in 2018 before the midterms. And, and I'm like, okay, that's fair enough. And I, I think it was probably me after I got involved in unions. And I, and I also reached out to him to help found the IWW. But then I, I, I connect with him again about, well, how about we do a union radio show? And he's like, now that's a lot more interesting to me. And so, um, and so we get, we get, we get started on it. Uh, we launch in May of, of 2020, um, which is a, you know, 
kind of a fascinating time to be launching anything really that's right. t- two months after the t- pandemic really kind of starts um but we uh and you know we wanted to do that because we are we're unionists obviously we believe in the power of, of unions to really change the world and, and we also believe and and so we want to lift up the the struggles that working people are having across the country and and particularly in the south um how unions are winning for people but also we want to do some super basic popular level education what is a union how do they function how do you form a union how do you negotiate contracts what is a grievance procedure um what are your wine garden rights all of these types of things that are just so you know foreign to people because so few people are in unions now um they just don't have this even a popular level understanding of what a union is and what it does and what its function is and so that's why we wanted to start the show um and then also some amount of like political education about like what you you know um what policies are good for unions and workers um and why should you support these policies or why shouldn't you um and so that was kind of the thinking behind the show uh started it now um we publicly announced it three years ago in March, and then we were live on the radio in May. So, um, so yeah, we've been you know going strong for three years. We took a short hiatus while I went to um, support uh, recovery in New Orleans after Hurricane Ida. Uh, but that that's basically the genesis for the show, and I think that that's what we've been trying to do, even as we've grown a little bit and expanded and in more ways than one, uh, you know, that's been the driving mission of the show. And, and, uh, I'm really proud of, of what we've been able to, uh, what we've been able to build, uh, David and I, and, and what we've been able to build since we've been bringing on more people. You know, I think that it's pretty obvious the, um, higher quality that we have now <laughs> than if you go back and listen to, which I don't even necessarily recommend, but go back and listen to some of our first, uh, uh, some of our first recordings and the audio is a lot better. Video is obviously better. Um, our presentation is better. I feel more comfortable in front of a microphone. Um, and so, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really proud of the project and proud of, of what we're planning to do with this expansion here in March. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's been a, a very cool thing to see. Um, you know, I was, uh, fan of the project before i got involved with it um you know you and i had met years prior back when you were doing the the democratic party thing um i met you then and you know we kept running into each other at these different now you were now now you can't throw me under the bus i can't throw you under the bus you were doing some democratic party stuff yeah me Uh, and you you and i were both on the ballot as democrats and that's true uh we were doing Uh, some coordinated campaigning uh, and endorsed each other and that yeah. kind of thing, uh, you know, as fellow Bernie folks trying to uh, get a foot in the door of the state party. Uh, you know, by that time, I had already been, you know, involved in, in labor and education stuff. So it was just more of a, you know, also, you know, right, let's do this right. also. Um, and, and I'm really glad that you you found the labor movement as a home and as a place to expend your energies and your talents. Uh, I really appreciate what you've done with the show, and I think uh, you know a lot of folks do as well. And I think we've made a difference. 
you know, I wanted to kind of close with, so why do you do all this stuff? Why put your time, your money, your energy, your reputation into growing the Valley Labor Report, but, you know, really the, the local labor movement more broadly? Yeah, um, the, the big why is, um, you know, uh, because I think that the world can be better. Um, and I think that it ought to be better. I think that people, I think that workers deserve more. And I think that, um, and I think that unions are really the best way to make that happen. Um, I gave a talk in, at a, um, I think it was at a, at a, at a Juneteenth thing. And, and I was asked to talk about like civic engage, it, uh, civic organizations or something like that. And so I obviously talked about unions, um, and I had three points and, and I think that the things were that, you know, one unions are going to be the best way to make your life better immediately. And I, I mean, unions in like the small, you, you know, union is in, um, two or more workers in their workplace organizing to make their, their workplace and their lives and their communities better. Um, that's going to be the best way that you can immediately start making a difference. Um, and it's also going to be the best way to create a political force that can be reckoned with. Um, and, you know, I think that we can see that in the West Virginia teacher strikes. You know, they were able to get a Republican trifecta to give them better health care and a raise in smaller class sizes, right? Um, and there's certainly since that strike in 2018, there's been some backsliding, but they showed the power of what unions can do. And so we can become a powerful political organize, uh, organizing group um, to fight for, for things for working people, even outside of our contracts, Um and, and whether that be supporting candidates in elections and, and getting them across the finish line or making elected politicians so scared of us that they that whatever party they're in, they just do what we tell them to. Right. That's mm -hmm. the thing that, um, you know, I, I think that that's really um, I, I'm totally convinced that bang for your buck unionism and union activism is really uh, the best way to, to, to change the world. And then also, you know, um, just in your community, you know, if, if you're interested in, in just like uh, mutual aid type work, well, unions, you know, unions can do some of that, too. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, I that that that's basically the big why for me. Uh, why do I spend time doing this, trying to educate people, trying to lift people's stories up, uh, trying to organize folks? Um, it's because I think that the world can be better. It ought to be better. And that unionism is really the best way to do that. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I just want to say that, you know, you're you're a genuinely a good dude. I mean, and I really do want to say that and put that out there. You are someone who really does have a heart for the people. Um, you are a true believer. And, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative way at hmm. all. Um, I, I know sometimes, uh, you know, folks say that and they, they sort of side eye when they when they mention that. But I mean that in the best way uh, that, that you have a real devotion and commitment to the cause 
and to working people. And I think that's uh, it's very admirable and uh, really appreciate all that you've done. And, uh, you know, was there anything else you wanted to, to leave our listeners with this morning as, as we wrap up this uh, biographical sketch here? I don't think so. I don't think so. If you have any questions about our biographies, you know, feel free to, to ask them and, and we can uh, answer them in, a, in an addendum in the next in the next just the main show or something. Sure. But uh, but yeah, the phone number is 844-899-TVLR. You can send us a text or leave us a voicemail. Yeah. And as we wrap up, uh, I do want to remind folks we have our listener survey that's out. Um, it should be uh, in the YouTube description as well as the YouTube chat. Uh, of course, we have our February fundraiser that's still going on. Uh, but more than anything, I just want to say thank you to everyone who is listening live. Thank you to everyone who will be listening later on. Uh, everyone who likes and shares the uh, the video, the audio. It truly means a lot. We do it for y'all. We do it because we believe in the power of this organized working class to bring a better Alabama and a better world that's possible and necessary. And, um, you know, that's why we do it. And, and we really appreciate it. So I don't have anything else, Jacob. I don't know if you do, but uh, I, I think we're going to call it a day. Hope you all have a great weekend. All power to the workers. 